Hello and welcome to Movies on the Side. This is Stephen Robles. And this is Nate Baranowski. And this week, we review The Lord of the Rings, colon, The Two Towers from 2002. And we have a very special guest with us this week. We bring on an expert who tells us all about how the books and the movies relate to each other and schools us on proper pronunciation. We talk about Gollum and Helm's Deep and all the incredible scenes in The Two Towers. We take a quick journey to romance corner and discuss... Smeagol. <laughs> and Nate, I think, tries to do a Gollum impression. I, I do my best. All that and more on Movies on the Side. We are so excited this week to have a special guest, a Lord of the Rings expert, to discuss Lord of the Rings, colon, The Two Towers. Cecily, once again, thanks for joining us. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. Cecily, let's start right off the bat yes. with what is your relationship with the Lord of the Rings movies, books? Oh, my goodness. Give us yes. your bona fides. Yeah. So I was surprised to hear that neither of you who are older than me had ever heard, or or maybe you had heard of it and just didn't really care, but the um, animated Lord of the Rings, was that was that part of either of your guys' lives? When, when you were talking about this in the last episode, I didn't hear you mention it. It was not part of mine. A listener, Andrew, he sent me a message saying he has these on like VHS or whatever, but no, mm-hmm. I did not watch them. And thank you for dissing us four times in like a single statement, calling us old, <laughs> ignorant of the animated series. I mean, it was a great, yes. great hey, old. Nate is just one year older than me. I don't know about you, Stephen, but old. Oh, at least Nate's far, not old. He's far old. Stephen's far <laughs> older than both of us young. In spirit, thousands of years. Thousands <laughs> like of two years. or three at least. Yes. Yeah, the animated series kind of floated on the periphery for me, but I never really got into them. I knew they existed, but I think maybe this didn't make the cut of the last episode, but it always kind of blended in with the Narnia cartoons back in the day. Mm. I knew there was like a wizardy sort of cartoon out there. Mm-hmm. That's that's my background. Yeah, they're not great. I don't recommend watching watching them but it was just like something that was part of my childhood my parents had first of all four boys and then two girls and so uh, an adventure story for boys um, that featured basically all boys and was right. like mythical creatures that also has like elements of just good moral storytelling like right versus wrong like fighting evil and temptation of like falling into the evil but yet you arise like all of that was totally a parent favorite in my household so we watched those as kids. My first experience of knowing that the new movies were coming out, which are like a million times better than the animated, <laughs> was seeing a McDonald's Happy Meal toy of, I think it was Aragorn, maybe? Like what? a little, little uh, three-inch figurine Happy Meal toy. And I was like, what is this? Oh, that's very good. And my brother said, oh, yeah, the movies are coming out. And at that point, I hadn't read any of them, but he had. And so I was like, oh, okay, I want to watch these movies. They're going to read these books. So I had the experience of having read each of them one by one before the movies came out because I read The Hobbit and that one was a really easy read. It's fast. And then I started the fellowship and it got a little bogged down because I was only 12 or 11 at the time. Yeah, those first 20 pages, I remember. I've read the first 20 pages of fellowship. Yeah. And it is like, hmm, I'm I'm not old enough for this. Yeah. And The Hobbit's written for kids. And so it's like super easy read. It's very much like Narnia. And then you start in Lord of the Rings and it's like, it's just deep and hard. And so I, I started it, but my mom was like, you need, you need to finish it before you, if you're going to watch these movies, like it'll be better. It's your homework. Yep. And so I had that chance to read the fellowship, watch the fellowship, and then read the two towers and watch the two towers. Cause I was, this was the time where they each were coming out. So I had a whole year of waiting. And so I would read the book and then I would watch the movie when it came out. I was excited to read the next book and then watch the movie when it came out. So that's my experience. So you did book, movie, book, movie, book, movie for the three. Yeah. Wow, that is And since that time in Mm -hmm. 2003, Mm -hmm. what is your viewing practice with Lord of the Rings? Do you watch it often? Have you not seen it since 2003? Uh, No, I have definitely seen it since. My favorite way to watch it is 
to do all three extended editions back to back to back with my sister. <laughs> we used to do it once a year in like January when we're, you know, you're snowed in inside anyway. And we would start at like nine o'clock in the morning, watch them straight through till nine o'clock at night. Wow. And we did that at least three years in a row. And it is a fantastic way to watch these movies <laughs> if you ever have a chance. Cecily, that is how I traumatized my wife and turned her totally off to this because we went full on extended editions in a row and we couldn't do it again it was too much <laughs> it was too much with no context totally new it's a lot for a spouse to bear you need blood to do that yeah, yeah that's serious <laughs> a sibling to hold on to <laughs> so what's the count right now like how many times have you read the books um i am just about to finish i think my fourth reading it might just be my third but i think it's my fourth reading that's a big deal okay so you have listened to our first episode flailing and trying to review the first movie fellowship of the rings how did we do and would you have added anything to that episode? You know, you guys did quite well. You, The way you uh, reached out to me, I thought, oh, brother, did they really botch this? And as I was looking, I was like, this is great. I don't know why you guys were worried. Except, oh, boy. oh when you, the first time, no, you corrected yourself, so I got over it. But the first time you okay. said Galadriel in the weird way that you said it, oh. I yelled no as loud as I could in my car. <laughs> I was driving to work and I just shouted no. So yeah. um, that I, that did take me a moment to get over. But you, in deepest humility, did correct yourself, Stephen, right. and I appreciate right. that. See, I cut out the part where I said Eowyn when I actually meant Arwen. <laughs> I cut that out because I, I could feel the heat. That is understandable. That is understandable. Because I think that you you lose a little bit of the knowledge of, of old English writing mm -hmm. when you're reading these books now. Because right. even like if you, especially if you're just hearing it as a listener, you're hearing Arwen and hearing Eowyn and you don't see it written down, they sound so similar to each other. Yeah. But um, Tolkien and Lewis were both uh, English literature or I think even older than English, like um, Renaissance literature mm. professors. And so like to them, something being like E with a... a um, so you are Hispanic. Stephen, what's the thing on for the E called? <laughs> I mean, it's just an accent over the E, yeah. Yeah, the accent over the E and the O right. spelling that versus A-R. Like those two backgrounds just probably feel like a world of a difference but for J.R.R. Tolkien, where for us, it's like, oh, my word, those those names are so, so similar to each other. So I completely understand mixing those up because yeah. I think for us as 21st century readers and watchers, it's like, why would he name people so close to each other? But I think to him, it seemed like, oh, well, why wouldn't you think that's a world of difference from each other? Mm. So thank you for that. I'm glad I'm glad we did well. Oh, 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 I'm really sorry. I have one more thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. One ahead. more thing. Yeah. I've been waiting to say this. Oh, man. Steven, Steven, Steven. Yes. Strike, strike two. Man of music. Oh, yeah. Oh. Man of the brass. Listen, listen. Steven I, Robles. No, it's at the top of my <laughs> note for today's episode. Oh. I have the score in all caps yes. with three exclamation Four. points. Because when we stopped, <laughs> when we stopped recording, I started watching The Two Towers like shortly after we started recording or ended the last recording. And I was like, how did I not mention? And neither of us, you know, Nate, he mentions the music a lot too. Like the score of this trilogy, just the amazing music. It is totally, yes, we should have mentioned that because it's amazing. And we'll talk about it in this one. But yes, I, I failed to mention it. Oh, my man, Howard Shore is on yes. fire this series. This is so good. I'm uh, sorry, so good. I had to clap on those because that was just important. Yeah, that was the emoji it's, in, in it's between great. the words. That was good. Cecily, I have a question for you before yes. we begin this movie. Yes. And that is. What would your rating be yes. for The Fellowship of the Ring? Mm. We each gave it three and a half. Yeah, I would give it a four and a half. Four okay. and a half? Oh. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. That doesn't leave a lot of room for the uh, next two movies to, mm -hmm. to go up. My, my final question for you is this. Mm -hmm. Having been someone who watched the extended edition, mm -hmm. is there anything from the first movie that was in the extended edition that we maybe missed or something very cool? So... I have only ever watched the first one in the extended edition, and that is because the it had already come out. The theatrical version had 
come out before I even knew about it. And it was already onto the extended before I watched it with friends. So I didn't actually get the opportunity to watch the first one in the theater. So I've only watched the extended version. So I do know Got that okay. there's at least one scene, which is Galadriel giving gifts. Right. I'm assuming you guys did not watch that scene. No, right? she gives no we did gifts. not see it. Okay. So that's a very, a very like poignant and like meaningful for later on scene that like I don't know later like when Sam uses his gift which is a rope in this movie and then when Frodo uses his gift which is the light in the next movie I don't even know if you didn't watch the extended version if you would know where they came from the light we see yeah I think we saw her give the light to Frodo we just didn't see anyone else get anyone else okay so everyone gets a gift and it goes through everyone's giving their gifts and all of that so that is that's like special and it's like the falling in love of Gimli for the elves and it like starts showing Boromir's like darkness like building in him yeah so that's like one thing that I wish that could have been in the theatrical edition and then I think everything else is just kind of like icing it's not it's great if you've read the books you love that there's more content because these books these books together are over a thousand pages so you're just glad to have like any little bit that you can fit in but that was the scene that I feel like I most missed it being in Hmm. the theatrical release okay so we come to the two towers did I get the title right how many colons are there just one I have the book in front of me just one. Oh, would you would you tell us the name of the book and year of release, please? Oh, my book says The Lord of the Rings, Part Two, J.R.R. Tolkien, The Two Towers, illustrated by Alan Lee. <laughs> Very nice. And the movie is The Lord of the Rings: colon, The Two Towers. Two thousand two is the release date. This movie opens up with I don't know one of the coolest scenes, like the Balrog, and we see Gandalf fighting the Balrog, which you can, again, throw in whenever the books and the movies like coincide and the cool parts. But I love this opening and it's awesome to watch Gandalf fight this thing. Yeah, it is. Again, one of those moments, like you were saying uh, last episode, Nate, how it's a little weird to see two grandpas fight each other. (laughs) Right. (laughs) At the same time in this, it's like it because there's just one grandpa and he's fighting this giant beast. It is like extra amazing i think that it just is so cool to see this what we think of as an old man which in the reality he's thousands of years old like um sort of wizards are like sort of immortal and so you know he has lived ages and ages of time and um so he really is ageless in a way but he looks so um grizzled and so gray and he is just beating the crap out of the (laughs) dragon and i think that the special effects again we talked about a little bit last week but i feel like they hold up in many of these scenes you know especially towards the end with the large groups of orakai and stuff i feel like it looked good in this battle with the balrog looked good too nate did you think so i thought the the falling scene was actually it wasn't one of my favorites when it comes to skydiving gandalf through there (laughs) Um, but anything with Ian McKellen's voice over top of it saves anything that I'm looking at because I remember the line, I smote his ruins upon the mountainside. (laughs) Until at last I threw down my enemy and smote his ruin upon the mountainside. It makes anything epic if he is kind of talking through it. Especially that moment, too. Like, I agree that the close-ups where they're falling is not as... as um, They're not good as modern. The fire is a little iffy. Yeah, it's just like not... Mm-hmm. It's, it could be a little better. But that moment when it opens up to the huge underwater yes, lake yes, yes. and you see them falling at a distance from that's a distance, always the moment yes. that's just like oh like it's yeah. it's so good i did have the thought of like because when he talks about the fight later to aragorn and all of them they're fighting on top of this like castle tower thing and i'm wondering myself like what was the interim between the underground lake and the tower were they both like hey let's just take this outside like <laughs> do they just like walk out there or did they fight all the way up to that tower is there any book uh, information on that? Yeah, in the book, they fight all the way up. Oh, they go amazing. from the bottom of the... Yeah, they just are fighting the whole way. Yeah. That's awesome. And since we're talking about Gandalf, can we talk about the reveal as Gandalf the White, which is, I don't know, I still like... I didn't tear up, but I do really like that moment <laughs> when he turns around and we see Gandalf... Or when he comes out of the light and he says he's Gandalf the White. I realized for the very first time, I think, while watching it this time, that Gandalf the White is almost like 
another person, like uh, like a right. reincarnated Gandalf almost, because he's like, oh yes, that was my name. Or it's he said something like, it's been he's lived like a thousand lifetimes, right? In the you know in the interim, and it's been so mm-hmm. long since he's been there. But I used to think that okay, he just got like a, a makeover, got some better hair, got some wider <laughs> right. clothes, right. but he really is like maybe a little bit more a little less jolly a little less uh surly and a little more like sagely like he's full-on like i'm here to ride on a sweet white horse (laughs) yeah he like takes over the role of um saruman because saruman says he's not saruman the white anymore he's saruman of many colors so he like gives up his role as the white oh like joseph and you'll like in the book his robe turns into like iridescent colors because he like is not he's not the white anymore and so gandalf like when he dies and comes back is now like in new yes like a new role of a person that is um, that is the head of this clan of wizards and is the the oh. the wise the oh. sage yeah that's pretty that sweet. is great good perception that's a great movie choice Peter Jackson not giving <laughs> Saruman like a disco ball esque like <laughs> shimmering thing literal yeah. technicolor dream coat better know. described better in book yeah yes yeah, exactly okay so this movie we really get to spend time with Frodo, Sam, and Gollum, played by the actor Andy Serkis. And this is one of those things where, you know, Andy Serkis is acting the role with a bunch of, like, small orbs attached to him because they're going to CG him up later. Apart from the CG and special effects, just his performance with the split personality Gollum is just incredible to watch and how many times the movie uses something in the world, whether it's a pool of water and the reflection kind of separates the good Gollum from, like, his evil counterpart. Or, like, there's a tree at the end where he, like, talks as one and then he crosses over the tree and he's then the, he's the other one. It's just an incredible performance, I think. What do you guys think? So beautiful. Ah, precious. I think that somehow you didn't use the words motion capture, which you talked about motion capture in the most complicated way possible. I was leaving it for you. I was leaving it for you. Okay. Okay. I think this is the beginning, if I'm not mistaken, of mocap being like a new era of uh-huh. acting performances actually translating to CG characters. And I think Andy Serkis showed that, oh, if you have a real actor behind it, it is a fully fleshed out character. My Smeagol slash Gollum take is this. This movie, spoiler alerts, is amazing. I think some of its weakest parts actually at times is I get a little tired of jumping back to Frodo and Sam sort of on their halfway through the journey. I think I get a little Frodo fatigue throughout this whole series. But (laughs) the addition of Smeagol in their group absolutely carries those scenes Mm -hmm. and makes them enjoyable to watch. And every time I watch this movie, I hope, like when he sends Gollum away, go away and never come back. And it (laughs) is like you're just rooting for him to like be free of his demons, basically, or his, you know, his tormentor basically right and i think that is his character is so fleshed out for a cg side character it is brilliant performance it saves those scenes for me that is my smeagol opinion yes to be fair frodo is also fatigued of himself so it makes sense (laughs) he's he's living a hard life out there in the marshes but but yeah the you're 100 right that there is first of all just like you cannot give enough props to this. I think it's Weta is the group that that, that did the CGI, right. and yeah. he is so real. And of course, you know you could probably touch up a thing here or there. Now is it almost twenty years? Right, almost twenty years later. Right, but there's really not that much to fix up. Like it is gorgeous, and the fact that they had the realization early on, which they didn't, I don't think that they were quite thinking Andy Serkis would play as big of a role as he did. But when they really just looked at him and said, hey, this guy really has it. Let's just copy him because he's he is really living this character. Um, once they made that turn, it was just like the best decision to just let him really come to life on the screen. And it it's just fantastic. I think the character design works so well with that 
era of CG because in and of himself, he's already an uncanny valley character. Like he's not mm-hmm. quite humanoid. He's not, uh, you know, like an animal we've seen. Mm-hmm. So he can look other. And I think that CG becomes so much more forgiving when I'm not comparing him to, oh, he needs to look like a bear or he needs to look like a child. It works for that CG because he is homogeneous. Yes. And thankfully, he is not very hairy, right? He does have some (laughs) hairs. Right. But like, that's the thing that always like that you're going to notice, like um, the wargs, the like the running, um, the the big dogs that they ride, right? Those are pretty, (laughs) they're like a little iffy because the the hair technology hasn't quite gotten there in um, turn of the century. But um, the, the skin, that like translucent skin is perfect. And yeah. like I said, I just don't think you could even get much better now. Yeah. My favorite scenes of him is once he starts trusting Frodo and Sam, there's a scene of him like ridding himself of his evil character. And he celebrates that he's gone, he's gone. Mm-hmm. And later when Faramir takes him hostage and we see like he's in this cave as a, he is now captured mm-hmm. and the evil Smeagol comes back. Like it's almost, you feel so bad for this CG character because it's like he's struggling <laughs> with this evil side that he doesn't want. And he finally trusted someone after however many years only to be betrayed again. And it's such an arc in this character. I don't know. I love it. Right. I also have to say right here, this movie won an Oscar for best visual effects mm. deserved uh it was nominated for best picture best art direction best film editing best sound mixing uh it won for sound editing and visual effects but it absolutely des- deserved it if you want to see a scene that is just as good as anything that could be on screen 20 years later take a look at the scene of Smeagol chasing a fish and splashing down a yes. river that water is all cg he is cg he is moving through the water and it is flawless yeah the one part that always gets me it just like touches me so much and again it's like he is not real he is right. invented by someone painting on a computer when he is holding the fish in his mouth he's fishing right and he's singing his little song and he's smacking the fish yes. and then frodo's like come on come on, like, come up here. And he goes to climb and he sticks the fish in his mouth Mm -hmm. and he looks up with these big puppy dog eyes eyes, at Frodo, like so trusting. Like the amount of love I have for this character that is (laughs) completely computer generated and yet is standing on his own next to these real people. Like there's scenes where he's coming up over the shoulder of Frodo, you know, their their faces are right next to each other. And it's it's just incredible. They they just did wonderful work. All right. So I want to talk about King Theoden. We enter this character in the, the world of Rohan and what is his region called? It's Rohan and oh, the the Rittermark is something they the call it that. Yeah, and something like that. Edoras is like the region around his capital city. This is amazing. You just call it out. It's awesome. But I love these scenes with King Theoden. He's kind of under the control of the Worm Tongue character. Well, Saruman ultimately. Saruman ultimately. And, and Grima yeah. is the the little henchman who's doing the yes work on the ground. Yeah, and so I love the scene when. Gandalf and Aragorn, Gimli, Legolas, they get to King Theoden and Gandalf, like he takes off his cloak, like he, he removes the gray cloak and it's just like this white and, and King Theoden like goes back in his chair and he says he's going to draw out uh, Saruman. Like poison like, from a wound. <laughs> this, I is... will draw you out, Saruman. I will draw you, Saruman, as poison is drawn from a wound. It's such a cool scene. And then the the effects transformation of King Theoden from like this gray, like weird, sickly character to becoming his actual self. Like, just love that. My thoughts about King Theoden, maybe we can talk about him a little later because he has some lines that I feel like fall a little short, in my opinion. But I don't know. What do you guys think about that scene and the entrance of this whole world? I love this scene, and I don't know if you guys notice it when you're watching it, but when he, when Gandalf is first challenging Theoden, mm. it's not Theoden's voice coming out of him. Right. It's, it's Christopher Lee's voice, because it's Saruman's voice coming out of him, mm. which I just think is just such a cool effect to actually hear Saruman like saying the words that are coming out, and the moment where he's, especially like there's a skip like right at the end where. You see it starting to wash away, and then like the moment that it really gets close to his, 
young, real self. Right. It's just this breath, like you feel yourself like, <gasps> like sigh as you like, as he comes back into his own. And then he's looking at Eowyn and you just like see sanity come back into his eyes. It's, it's very well done and yeah, perfectly pictured. Yeah. I think that whole, I think the whole Rohan, it feels like a deep mythos behind this people group. And I actually cared about like the kids riding on the horse, you know, and the mom sending them off. And it, you know, there are a lot, even at Helm's Deep later, there are a lot of shots of dirty, grungy people <laughs> yes. looking scared. Yes, And it yes. works for me because I believe that this these people are somewhat hopeless and have just a rough existence, but they're worth saving and, and Theoden really cares about them. I want to jump to the, in the transformation scene, I do have to say, Brad Dorif as Wormtongue mm-hmm. <laughs> is an amazing casting decision. By the way, also the voice of Chucky from those horror movies. Just That's a little, terrible. A little <laughs> side trivia for I didn't you. Need to know but it. his face and his lines, which are almost said in like a poetic, seems like it could be grabbed straight from the books. Same with Theoden, mm-hmm. some of his lines. They are. But he, well, he says something like, ill news as ill cat. Like <laughs> he says these lines, I don't understand, but they just sound so cool coming from his pale, sickly face. Yes. With no eyebrows. No eyebrows. Oh, right. That's right. That's why he looks so creepy to have eyebrows. Ill news is an ill guest. Be silent. Keep your forked tongue behind your teeth. Okay, so, but King Theoden, played by Bernard Hill. Tell me what you guys think, but I feel Bernard. like. Bernard. Oh, he says his got him. Bernard. 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 Strike two. <laughs> Bernard Hill. I'm not going to say any more actors' names for the rest of this episode. Welcome to Movies on the Side. This is Cecily Stiglitz's podcast, and we're all just <laughs> right. guests on it. We are guests. Oh, man. This is like my dream, you guys. If it, if you would have told me as a 12-year-old teenager nerd who loved Lord of the Rings that I would be doing this, I'd be like, is this real life? Oh, that's fun. Well, it's a lot of fun. Wonderful. But I need to be negative for a second because I feel like some of King Theoden's lines, some the way he delivers some of these lines, which I'm sh- sure a lot of them come from the book, and they're actually like epic lines. I feel like they come across funny. And one that really sticks out is towards the end when they're in Helm's Deep and like all hope is lost. King Theoden like turns to the camera and he's like, so much death. So much death. What can men do against such reckless hate? Oh, you don't like the line of what can men do against such reckless hate? dare you? I mean, it's a good line. I don't like how he delivers it. And I also feel like these orcs are mindless creatures. I don't even know if it's hate or it's just they're just tools. But anyway, I don't know. I mean, do you guys feel like you like how he delivers all his lines the whole movie? I think you have to understand the character of King Theoden, which I don't think if you didn't read the book, oh, I don't know. Oh, here comes the books. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think you would like it as much, which I agree. When I watched this on uh, this week, I thought I like him because of the book, but I don't like him right. just mm. because of the movie. This is right. this is part of Peter Jackson. I think sometimes you know the book too well, and so then you forget that you have to make these characters really meaningful to people at times. And often, like Gollum, it's it's automatic. You don't have to work at all for people to either love him and or hate him or kind of a little bit of both. Yeah. But Theoden is a very interesting character where he has this element of fatalistic. Um, I think his idea of how long he was imprisoned almost gave him a concept that he doesn't deserve to have a chance again. So he's basically just like, you know what? Mm. I'm ready to die. Like this is the end. I have heirs who are going to take over after me. Like I don't need to be here. He's pretty fatalistic um, as a character. And I think that you wouldn't really understand that just by like, just watching the movie, like why he's being like, why doesn't he care? Like, doesn't he have the knowledge of how he can lead his people and he should care that he lives or dies. And I think that he just has this acknowledgement that like his people will live on and they have good leaders and there's just no need for him to be there. Hmm. And that isn't really communicated very well in the movie. Hmm. I think he works in this movie just fine because he doesn't have to be one of your top eight even favorite characters from the movie. He can just (laughs) kind of be, I think that's a great term to describe him as fatalistic. In fact, spoilers, if he is your favorite, you're going to be disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see. (laughs) Yeah, I think 
he plays the part well. He says the lines with conviction. I don't really mind the delivery because the what can men do against such reckless hate sticks with me through these years. So I think he is fine, but I think he's meant, at least in this movie, to be to stand next to Aragorn and you go like, one of you is a king kind of out of duty, but your time is fading hmm. and one of you has like the it factor right so when you put vigo yes, next to him it's like okay i know who really should be king right and that's the eowyn obsession that's why she just like falls for aragorn in such a deep way oh cecily you fell right into my trap welcome to romance <laughs> corner we're <Yes>. here <laughs> here's my question for you we're in Romance Corner now. That's right. Mm-hmm. Bingo card. Mark it off. Who does Eowyn think she is? Hey. And is this connection, whether real romance or not, between Eowyn and Aragorn, do you find it enjoyable, one, and do you find it real for two? Eowyn thinks that she, every bit as good in fighting, in courage, in ability to lead as any man. And this is made especially difficult by the fact that she has such a fantastic brother. She lives in a time, unfortunately, where she is not expected to be a woman warrior, where she's expected to be a woman caretaker of her very aged uncle, which I guess he kind of goes back in time and youngs up a little bit. Um, But (laughs) Glow (laughs) up. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But yeah, she is, and I think Wormtongue says that she's in a cage, right? Like she's bound in this beautiful golden hall to wait on this old gentleman. And um, she wants to be fighting and to be a warrior princess. And so she meets Aragorn and he just fulfills all of the dreams that she has. And so I would love to say that she really actually like loves him. Like I wish that for her that she had that depth of character, but really she just is infatuated with the person of Aragorn. And so it's more just like a, a wishing and wanting for what it would mean to be married to someone like him. And it's not really that she's in love with him. Mm. Okay. And that is you... very, very good. Steven. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Same question. I mean, Cecily said it all. We don't get a lot of moments with the two of them interacting because the moment Eowyn asks Aragorn, who gave you that amulet? <laughs> then we get this like long cutscene of Aragorn fantasizing about Arwen. So it's like Aragorn's not there like emotionally or mentally, like he's still thinking about Arwen. So I feel like the romance corner is still Aragorn and Arwen, which there's a scene with Hugo Weaving that I want to talk about in a second. But I I didn't feel a ton of romance corner in this movie between Eowyn and Aragorn. I feel like it was still an Arwen and Aragorn show. Right. I think that's a somewhat of a knock for me, not the the lack of romance between uh, these two characters. I think Eowyn's cool in the next movie this movie she does spend a lot of time with glassy eyes just kind of staring with like her eye acting is top notch but she doesn't have that much to do yet Mm -hmm. wait for the the third movie for that sort of reveal yes yes. but i think the knock against this is that the shoehorning of arwen into this movie i'm sort of taken out of place and time because i do feel like i'm getting clips that are thrown in of of her like starting to leave and her talking with elrond doing her whole thing am i to understand that during this movie we are to believe that she ended up going on the boat and leaving or is it we're just supposed to see little bits that make us believe that she did actually go and can i be honest i've seen all three of these movies several times and i have no idea i do not remember what happens to arwen (laughs) so and when we watch the third one it will be new to me but go ahead yeah, that's what I was going to say is I actually I'm have a, such a vivid memory of what happens in the third one that I feel like I can't speak to this one because I know the ending. Mm. So okay. I, don't, I don't have the feeling of like, does she go or does she stay? Because I know. So I guess, Stephen, you talk about it. Well, the scene that, that I wanted to mention is, as Nate was alluding to, is Hugo Weaving, Arwen's dad. Yeah, he goes through this like long monologue, basically painting the bleakest picture ever about what's going to happen if Arwen tries to stay with Aragorn. He's going to die because he's mortal. You'll be wandering the earth alone in darkness. Galadriel comes back in for this scene, and it's like, yes, please yeah. give me your voice throughout this movie because you can say anything. <laughs> he knows he will not come complete 
Yeah. This journey. And it was just, uh, it was such this long extended scene. It felt, like you said, Nate, a little shoehorned. And I was like, man, this is just kind of like depressing. Like, goodness. And then we just see Arwen walking away in a hood in a in a lantern. So I just felt like that whole situation was a little weird. Here you will dwell, bound to your grief under the fading trees. Yeah, I think that this choice by Peter Jackson is too much based on the the likes and desires of people in the 20th, late 20th, early 21st century, where I think that he thought that people will forget that she exists if he doesn't mention her for a whole movie. <laughs> like she's in the first one, mm. spoiler alert, she's in the third one. And um, <laughs> right. she's not in the second one unless he right. shoves her in the middle. And I think that that was just a poor choice that like these watchers won't remember that she's here. He w- They won't remember <laughs> that sh- that he loves her. They'll think that, <laughs> that he's just going to fall for the next person pretty girl who's you know lays eyes on him right. like it's like we we respect aragorn enough to realize that he isn't just going to to leave her there like he knows she's still there That's good. and uh we can wait till next movie to see that and i i think that a lot of this was just unnecessary you can hear peter jackson just just imagining him off camera being like look at that necklace again aragorn <laughs> Hold the necklace out. We got to be able to... He has to show that he remembers her a lot. It's like, no, he's in the middle of fighting off wargs. Like, right. He's, he's, he just came back. Like, it's fine. We don't have to refer her back. Liv Tyler, I feel like, has more lines in this movie than the first one. And she, she talks so much to Aragorn. Like, he's sleeping. He's dreaming. She's kissing him across time and space. It is mine to give to him. A man being woken up by a kiss as sort of the opposite Sleeping Beauty is a fun little twist. Oh, that's a good point. I never thought about that. That's a good point. So we didn't talk really about Merry and Pippin as they are... Nate said in the last movie, he's not crazy about their antics. <laughs> Least favorite of the nine in the original. But yeah, I have a clap back for that, Nate. Oh, I've, oh. I'm reading, I'm finishing The Return of the King right now because I kind of spread the reading out from a long time. Mm-hmm. And I just read one la- a line last night that I wrote down for you. Because mm-hmm. I was like, Gandalf would have something to say to Nate yes. about this. Oh, Gandalf yes. says about Merry and Pippin in The Return of the King. He says, if Elrond... I wish I could say it in Ian McKellen's voice, but I cannot. <laughs> if Elrond had not yielded to me, neither of you would have set out. And then far more grievous would have been the evils than this day has been. I hope I read that wrong, but you know what I mean. Yeah, they have important parts to play, Nate, and they need to be here. So you got to love them just as much as you love everybody else. I don't have to love them as much as I love everyone else. <laughs> but I, I can admit, however, they do play important. They are important pieces. Yes. In the machine that is Middle Earth. For example, <laughs> I will su- I will say in this movie they actually have a role to play. Right. And getting to the I think we should talk almost simultaneously Helm's Deep and the, the Isengard attack. Yes. Because the way that Peter Jackson goes between a battle, I think one of the greatest battles in yes. battle scenes in movie history, yes. which is Helm's Deep. The way he cuts in the Ents talking and Mary and Pippin, like Mary actually is the one who gets upset about it. Right. And Pippin's mm-hmm. like, maybe we should just return to the Shire. And mm-hmm. Mary's like, there will be no Shire. Right. I think they actually play a role in getting the Ents, obviously, past Isengard so they can see the destruction. But that juxtaposition between Helm's Deep and a slow-talking Ent <laughs> discussion... Yes. Which is the voice of John Rhys-Davies, by the right. way. I don't know if you guys uh, knew that. What? That's Gimli's voice. Yeah, John Rhys-Davies says that. No voice. way. Shoot. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. But you must understand, young Hobbit, it takes a long time to say anything in all Entish. Also, that during those whole scenes, one of my favorite lines, I think it's when Pippin says, the closer you are to danger, the farther you are from harm. Mm-hmm. It's just a hilarious line, and it's great. Yeah. And before before we get to Helm's Deep, because we got to talk about that forever, like so much in those scenes, I do want to talk about the warg attack scene mm-hmm. and that, because two points before the scene, we have Gimli talking to Eowyn, and I just want to talk about my boy Gimli one more time, because he was one of my favorites, I said in the last episode. And he has this little story that I think is really funny, and he's telling Eowyn, like, 
And this in turn has given rise to the belief that there are no dwarf women. And the dwarfs just spring out of holes in the ground. <laughs> I just thought that was funny. Mm-hmm. So I like that. He does a great job of adding humor throughout because this can yes. be a little dark. So Yep. And so I like him for that. And then the warg rider attack scene, the CG is not great in this moment I'm going to mention because you can see that like Legolas's hand is like detached from his body. But when there's a camera shot of Legolas shooting arrows at the orc and the horses come up behind him and he like grabs the bridle of a horse swings around. and swings himself up on the opposite side. Mm-hmm. And like that image is just so cool and iconic. The CG is a little weird, but it sticks with me and I just love that part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that has been a favorite. I really think I really think it was brave of them to put this scene in the daytime. Yeah. Because it is no small feat to animate, completely animate these riders. I'm assuming both Orc and Warg together, all CG in a lot of these shots. And I think, although it, it does age not as well as Helm's Deep, it's nice to see a daytime action scene, especially if your main set piece is going to be a rainy nighttime action scene. Mm-hmm. Because when you finish a movie and you realize that all the action was in the dark, in the rain, in the smoky fire. <laughs> it's like, okay, I understand what you did there. Right. So I appreciate them <laughs> taking a shot. I think there is something about any elf shooting an arrow while an enemy is far away and just perfectly picking off like the lead rider yes, or the lead orc is so satisfying to me. Hmm. Yes, it is. So anyway, warg attacks... I had kind of forgotten this scene because I guess Helm's Deep takes up a lot of my mental mental space space. for this movie, (laughs) but I didn't mind it that much. Yeah. And it's true to the book. The only part that is not and totally unnecessary is Aragorn falling off that stupid cliff. He does not fall off a cliff. He's fine. Oh. He goes to Helm's Deep with everybody else. It goes to the shoehorning. It's such a waste of time. It goes to the shoehorning of Arwen into the show. Yeah. It's totally uh... unnecessary. It's just to get her... To wake him up at the bottom of the cliff and have like, have brought this horse to him? It's so dumb. He's uh-huh. fine. He but fights and just goes to Helm's Deep. The fact that he falls off that cliff, gets in the water, he is perpetually wet after that with his hair. Because <laughs> he never dries. He never right. dries, obviously. <laughs> him opening the door in slow motion when he returns is made a little bit more epic by the fact. And, you know, Eowyn's eyes are a little bit more glassier when he comes back. I think they wanted him to have, like, a big reveal, but I'm with you, Cecily. I don't know if they needed him to uh, ride on a horse for a long time in this movie. We have a thousand pages to cover, and you've cut a lot of things, (laughs) Peter Jackson. (laughs) Like, this is one thing that you don't put in, and you put something else important in its place. That's right. Okay, Helm's Deep. Like you said, Nate, this is, I think, one of the best fighting montages and scenes in cinema, just period. And it is one of my favorite action sequences. I mean, once I saw these movies as a teenager, when I wanted, when I was in the mood for an action sequence, I would pop in my Two Towers DVD mm-hmm. and just skip to Helm's Deep. Because, like, this last 45 minutes of the movie is spectacular. Like, I just, I love everything about it. My question for Cecily, is this, like, 300 pages in the books or like is the battle of helms deep as epic reading as it is watching it it is uh very well told in the book for sure it's definitely better watching though because you you have all the elements right like you know that there's that bridge with no like rails that goes up right you know the orcs are climbing up and the elves are or i guess there's not actually i don't think there's actually elves in the real story you guys oh for (gasps) real wait wait whoa 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 Okay, that's one of the best parts of the of the that, as they're building the army. Peter Jackson done good. He done good yeah. on that one. Yeah, oh, it's way cool. Because even that like head elf, I forget his name, but like when he dies, like I feel it, and we didn't even know this character until ten minutes ago. Yes, yeah, and the fact that like if you know that Aragorn grew up in Rivendell, like these are his friends who are coming to fight with him. Yes, this was Word. an excellent Wait. choice by Peter Jackson. Is that why Aragorn knows so much Elvish? Yeah, because he grew up there. Yeah, he grew up there. Yeah. Why didn't Peter Jackson put that in any of the movies? Like, did they did they ever say that in Fellowship of the Ring? Do they ever mention it ever? 
I don't know. I think I think there was some sort of thing about when him and Arwen met. Was it? You know, it was back there. But okay, but why yeah. why was he raised in Rivendell? Oh, now you're asking me hard. That's like Silmarillion question. Like I don't know. Ooh, Silmarillion. <laughs> <laughs> I I almost like he's a ra- a Dunedain ranger from the north, and so I don't I don't know. I don't know why he was raised oh, there. Man. Someone, someone's going to answer on Twitter for you. Oh, that would be amazing. Okay, yes, please do. Very good. One really quick second. Sixteen pages. Helm's Deep is sixteen pages. Sixteen pages. Oh. Yes. Okay. Huh. When you are not seeing it, what are you going to say? Like Aragorn does a cool jump, <laughs> <laughs> and does then like a cool sword fling. That's a lot of t- description in a book. Yeah. Oh, that's that's probably how J.R.R. wrote. Yeah, cool, cool flip, cool fling. <laughs> so the elves show up, and there are several moments in this movie where my, my nerdy heart skips a beat. Mm-hmm. And I think when the elves arrive and all turn in unison and they yes. just look so cool with their bows, it is one of those moments for me. I so much enjoy the elves being there. And then when that head elf says that there was a day when men, like we had an alliance yes. and we were here yes. to honor that alliance, that is so good yeah so wholesome i guess and like the like this is camaraderie like yeah. we're probably gonna die here but we're gonna die here with you an alliance once existed between elves and men long ago we fought and died together yeah and knowing that elves like have such long lives that they are like they're risking so much in a way so much more because they like they have immortality they live forever and so to to say like i will die here with you right men who are going to die anyway and i don't have to die it's just a different level of commitment yeah it's honor it's like it's like mm-hmm. old honor mm-hmm. kind of thing but i do have a question cecily uh when it comes to the elves some of the elves are going off to like elf heaven yeah <laughs> why are they doing that is that just because they know middle earth is in trouble so they're just heading to a different world or can they only be immortal if they go to like the elf place? So elves can die by violence. And so in one way, going off to elf heaven, as you call it, and I can't think of the name right now, but to go over... Bag of water. <laughs> <laughs> to go over like through the Grey Havens and leave. It guarantees you that you're not going to be killed by violence. Mm. Like it, it solidifies. That's not probably the right word. Because like, you're going to a your... peaceful place. Yes. But okay. also the earth, because it is full of these other races of mankind, you know, that's full of, of men, hobbits, you know, orcs, all of these like bipeds um, <laughs> of different differing humanoid varieties, that they have so much uh, violence and war and hate and just their base nature is so different from elves that I think in some ways they go over to like eternal life to escape uh, just the wickedness of a, a man's world, if that makes sense. Like they go to live in peace. Now, can they come back from there, or is it like a one-way trip? I, I think it's a one-way trip from everything that I've understood. Is it called Valar or Erisia, the Undying Lands? I think they just call it I, the Undying Lands. I think undying. in, the, in movie. the movie they do. Yeah, I think yeah, yeah. that those names seem familiar, but I, again, I'm not. I'm not sure. That's that's from Wikipedia. So it's probably it's probably right. Speaking of the elves and their bows and arrows, there's like three, two or three times in the Helm's Deep action scenes where a line of elves fire arrows that like brush Aragorn's hair as they fly by his head, and it is a very satisfying visual. Yes, love it. And then you have these humans, these the race of men that are like holding the their bows at different angles. And there's like the the older guy who <laughs> right, shoots yeah, the first orc. Doesn't have an eye. <laughs> Great choice. That first arrow, like the sound effect, and it hits the orc, and then like the orc high like groans or whatever and falls over. It's a comedic moment, and we don't get many after this point, but it was a pretty fun start to the battle. Absolutely. We do get the when Gimli tells him to throw him. Yes. And says, Don't tell the don't <laughs> tell the elf. I cannot jump the distance and have to touch me. Don't tell the elf. Not a word. Him and Legolas keep track. Like we hear at one point Gimli like Count. shouting numbers like 21, 22. And then, yeah. yeah. Good comedic relief. Yes, good comedic relief. This is why Gimli is one of my favorites. And then, yeah, Aragorn tosses him. But also, you know, Gimli is funny a lot, but he's pretty courageous. Like there's this one scene right after the one Oric 
high, whatever, runs with the flare, like Olympic torch style, and dives into the wall, which is an amazing scene. And and like you said, Nate, last time, where in the first movie, every time Gandalf is on that bridge, you say, just step away, don't fall. (laughs) I feel that in this moment at Helm's Deep, where Aragorn is telling Legolas, kill that one, like he has to die or else it's, you know, going to be bad. And I still feel like, oh, you could still get him. I still feel that every time. I feel like this most latest time that I watched it, I thought, it doesn't matter if he kills him. Someone else is just going to pick it up. Yeah, I know. There's that. (laughs) There's so many down there. There is that too. It's true. And also, the king says a line right before that, which I always hate when he says it because it's like, oh, you done jinxed it, (laughs) is when he says like, is that all you've got, Saruman? And it comes across cheesy. That's what I'm talking about. There's those kinds of lines. It's like, he's like, Saruman. In the book, he says that like several times of like, no, like, because this is the impenetrable place. Like, this is where they always go to hold out. And so, like in their minds, this is the the place that as soon as they get there, there's no there's no danger except for starvation. They will live if they are there. Right. So really, that like that boasting is totally just from history. Like he knows because right. it's never been breached before, and this is like the first time. And speaking of this, that one of my favorite comedic moments of this is um and and I think this is in a theatrical release when Saruman is talking yes. <laughs> to Grima Wormtongue. Worm Yes. Yes. And, and they're, he's tell, he's like, what? How could this? How, how could fire? fire? Yes. yes. And Grima like takes the candle and like re- reaches over. The look on Saruman's face is so perfect. He's just like, yes. idiot. Like, and, and he pushes the tell. hand away. Yes. He like pushes Grima away, like to get away from this thing. Yes. His face is like, how? Why? Yes. It's so perfect. It's an amazing visual when the wall explodes. Mm-hmm. Like we see it from a couple angles in slow motion. And let me just say, talking about slow motion from the first movie, whatever frames Peter Jackson left out of the first one, he found for the second one. Because we, <laughs> <actually have, laughs> we actually have good slow motion in the second movie and to great effect. And one of them is when we see the wall blowing up and we see like these huge boulders flying through the sky but it's an amazing visual and when the orcs start like coming in that gaping hole which is just another visual just seeing that hole in the wall hearing everything king said about it's impenetrable and now there's this gaping hole Mm -hmm. gimli jumps from like the top of the wall into a group of orcs with their spears upwards to try and help because aragorn is like down there i guess vulnerable and i just want to say gimli not only funny He's pretty brave too. Yes, orc spears have never been so poignant until, which kind of sounds that sounds like a, an attempt. <laughs> Point, pointed a, and poignant. <laughs> pointed and poignant. But um, I thought about this twice, like that moment, and then also when Aomer is riding down with the riders of Rohan into oh the fields, and all of those spears are pointed towards him. I'm like, oh, the bravery of the horse. And the rider, both. <laughs> for sure, to just for sure. Go, yeah, like to just run headlong into all of these yes. weapons directed straight at you, this wall. It just, there's a level of courage in that, that like they call us healthcare heroes for walking into a hospital with COVID. Like watching that, it's like, I'm not a hero. <laughs> I am well, so I mean, cowardly. Some peop- no, I mean, some people have COVID and spears. And <laughs> that's like, right, that those is true. people, they're the worst. You have to face. Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I want to talk about that that moment in a second, too, because I, I cry then, too. But the battle scene goes on, and the orcs finally, like, penetrate into the whole fortress. We get another, like, wide shot of, like, the orcs going into that, on that ramp and breaking through the door, and the orcs with the huge ladders on the tall wall and through the hole. Like, it's just such an amazing visual, and you feel like, oh, it's over now. Like, it's hopeless. Mm-hmm. And they are, like, huddled into that. You know, the into throne the chamber or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, into the keep. and like to the keep. Yeah, I love, like, it's just an awesome visual. When he turns to King Thade and says, like, let's ride out for death and glory. <laughs> no, you know, no. Just to, for one more time. Like, I don't know. I just love all, everything, all of that. Ride out to meet them. Yes. Yeah. And it just goes so perfectly with this fatalistic. Yeah. And, like, this is just the end of my life. And my life is, has been kind of pointless for the last couple decades. And it just fits into this narrative for Thade. And that's, like, I can end my life on this note of victory that I, as I'm riding out like a king right. instead of dying like huddled in yeah. a keep yeah right yes the horn of helm hammerhand shall sound in the deep one last time and then we hear the voiceover of Gandalf the White you know on the fifth day as the sun rises, look to the east, and the, the sun comes in the window. And I, I just have to say, as they ride out, Chills. and we see Gandalf and the riders of Rohan up in the top, 
Peter Jackson found all the frames for the slow-mo shots of Gandalf mm-hmm. and all them ran down the hill, I teared up. Mm-hmm. I just want to say, I, I, even on this viewing. Yeah, it's it's very good. Even them riding out onto that bridge and orcs are getting bowling yeah. pinned off of <laughs> yes. that bridge. That's some good CGI as well. That, that's mm-hmm. the use of the algorithm that creates yes. a bunch of thousands of orcs is getting bowled over by horses. Yes. I do have to say one thing. Just plug this anywhere in the podcast because I have to say it. Otherwise, my 13-year-old self will never forgive me. The most memorable part of Helm's Deep is a four-second shot of Legolas throwing down a shield. (laughs) Yes. Surfing down the stairs while firing off about three shots. And then the shield flies into an orc's (laughs) chest and he does another like spin and stab. Yes. At that moment is when I committed to whenever I play a video game that is Lord of the Rings themed, I will be Legolas. (laughs) And this may be the coolest guy ever. That's right. It is really interesting that Legolas, he has such a big role in the fighting, but yet then he like just disappears into a character that you could just forget about in between. And I do, I am glad that even though this is like, it's a little, it's a little silly um, in the times to think that like an elf would do that. It's like, yes, give him his chance to be just epic for a moment because otherwise we just kind of, like his lines are always just a little bit of, you know, just narration to help explain what's Exposition. going on. Yes, exactly. Like, he needs a moment to shine. So I was very yeah. glad for them to give him this moment. And there's going to be even a better moment next movie. Right. Okay, <laughs> well, oh, we're going to talk about the Oliphant, the, yes. Oliphant, the, t- the, the Timothy Oliphants in the exactly. next movie. Exactly. Yes. So as this scene is going on, too, we have the Ents at Isengard, which I love that action too and going back and forth mm-hmm. there's this one shot of an ent like being shot at with fiery arrows and he catches on fire and i always feel for that guy <laughs> like oh that's but sick. he has his moment but then later you see yeah. a guy yes dousing himself in the river later is a oh, another great comedic moment <laughs> yes yeah it's got to be the same guy at least that's my hope i hope the first guy didn't like burn yes we also have to get to the final scenes of frodo and sam with faramir and do we have to oh you guys this just as a little bit of a preview of my review this takes an entire star off for me this <gasps> the way oh. that faramir is treated in this movie you guys oh. boromir and faramir are supposed to be absolute contrasts of each other where faramir and aragorn are supposed to like almost be mirror images where but faramir is the steward and so he is humble and willing to submit where aragorn has like even though he's born in humble circumstances has to rise to be the king faramir is so understanding of the ring's power and ability to corrupt and he knows that he does not want it he never wants to take it he never wants to take them back to his father and I just hate how they portray him in this movie. It's it's waste time, and it's totally against his actual character. Yeah, he doesn't come across like that at all. Why does his old guardian guy say to him, when he does choose to release the hobbits at the end, he says, you know, like, this will bring about death. That's a line from the book. It, he's he, Because they are... They've taken them as prisoners. So to release prisoners is to consider your life as forfeit. It's like uh, the Philippian jailer, how he's killing, going to kill himself after he thinks all the oh, people okay. have... If, the, if your prisoner escapes, yeah. you, you kill yourself. Yes. You're done. Yeah. Good pull. Good. Yeah. So um, I know the Bible and Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Epic <laughs> adventures. <laughs> Equally violent. <laughs> Epic stories, yeah. Uh, so these final scenes, what is the city they're in? Osgiliath. Osgiliath, yeah. So they're here. We have like the Nazgul now flying, and that's a thing. But we have like Frodo, these, again, Peter Jackson found all the frames to show Frodo in slow motion, like eyes rolling in the back. <laughs> like While a beautiful uh, wailing singing happens behind him. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so it feels weird. But we do get the interaction with Frodo and Sam, where, you know, Sam is trying to help and Frodo like jumps on him with the sword. And Cecily tells us that this is how it is in the book. But, you know, Sam says the line, don't you know you're Sam? Which, it touches my heart. Like, I think that's Mm -hmm. nice. And then Sam has this whole monologue about journeying and how you don't give up. And the theme from the Shire starts playing. And Howard Shore, you know, does all the stuff. But in the end, it's only a passing thing. This shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come. 
And when the sun shines, it'll shine out the clearer. All those lines are right out of the book. They just don't happen there. They're all from other portions. Oh. Um, the two towers are split up into two halves. And it actually, when you read the book, it's all Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli chasing the hobbits until Helm's Deep. And then that's the middle of the book. And then the second half is all Frodo and Sam, straight from the middle all the way to the end. Oh, wow. And there's so many like little treasure troves of moments like that that he pulls from. But they didn't happen in Osgiliath. They, you know, they're, they're, they're just sprinkled through and peppered through like the the different um, moments that they experience gotcha. along the way. But yeah, they're really touching lines and that music. Oh, it gets me every yes. time. The Shire, the theme. I yeah. am much bigger fan of a standard fellowship. Um, bom, bom, da, 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 yeah. da. Mm-hmm. Like that standard. That's like my favorite theme. But that Hobbiton theme yes. is especially on the little I'm guessing it's some type of woodwind is just so or a penny whistle or something yeah that just gets me every time like you could almost just tear up just hearing it I think my my favorite comes in that Rohan theme which that is good too. I can't think of at the moment. There's a solo um, fiddle that comes in. Before we review this movie, though, I, I just want to give Cecily the opportunity. Are there any parts in this movie as a whole that you would be like, I have to talk about this. Otherwise, Sunday when I listen to this, I'm going to. I'm going to regret it. (laughs) Are there any moments you need to pull out? So mad that I forgot to mention. I don't think so. I really appreciate the complexity of the characters that are in all of this. I love the Ents um, that are in the way that they have really pulled in. I don't know if you guys know anything about the illustrators or uh, the movies Really, the the creators of the movies are um, no. Alan Lee is an uh, illustrator who did like these hardbacks. Actually, I have. Um, he illustrated them in like the '90s, and then so they pulled them in for the movie. And it's just amazing as you flip through. It's like every um, picture. It's like a painting that's like printed into the book. It looks exactly like how Peter Jackson ended up putting it into the mm. movie. It's it's gorgeous. Mm. But his end creation is fantastic. Or thank the the tower in the middle of Isengard, that black tower. I mean, yes. it's just it's just fantastic. And those moments, it has a name. Yeah, it does. The black tower and um, the moments where the water is pouring in to the industrial works that are underneath, like as the river has been unleashed and it's pouring in. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love how feisty um, Mary gets and how frustrated he is with Treebeard. And yeah, I, I just love that. Like he kind of comes into his own a little bit. And then he even like he just his character development is fantastic. Pippin stays really youthful through the whole um, the whole time um, and a little bit like bumbling. But Mary has this like deepening of his character that is really special. I love the imagery of the hidden outpost that they hide that they go up into Faramir when he like first takes them captive and they're blindfolded and they Mm -hmm. they pass them along that's such a great shot of them like picking up the hobbits and passing them back and forth over the hard spots to walk um, (laughs) as they're taking them up to that little outpost um, and the waterfall and the forbidden pool and all that is so gorgeous well it sounds like you are dangerously close to just giving us a rating for this movie I know I know I did want to squeeze in Uh, David Wenham plays Faramir, and we have discussed him before in our Van Helsing episode, and I believe in Australia. He's a guy that probably is not power sort of guy. Oh, that's right. I think that while he is okay in this role, I think I would like a Boromir-Faramir actor switch. I think I I miss Sean Bean. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) Cecily just cut you off. She said, nah. Really? All right, rescinded then. Okay, I Fine. was I was about to agree you, with you. Fine, then. Nate, have you ever seen the um, the extended scene from the Two Towers where uh, Boromir and Faramir are celebrating after Boromir first takes over Asgiliath from the orcs? No, but oh. I do see that Sean Bean is listed as yeah. Boromir (parentheses extended edition). Yes. <laughs> he didn't make the theatrical cut. Oh, th- this is like the scene that I wish would have been in the theatrical cut and they would have cut all the Arwen scenes. Mm. Cut Arwen out completely and put this in instead. It is fantastic. It features 
pictures them together because you never see them as brothers. Mm. Yeah, that's and, what I needed. Oh, first of all, there's this moment where Boromir's standing on a tower and he's like, we have taken this city for Gondor. And like everyone screams for Gondor. And it's just like as Ooh, a, like a 12 year old cool. in a theater. Like, I mean, I didn't watch this in the theater, but you know, like it, I can just imagine the extended, if that would have been in the theater at that time, mm-hmm. instead of being cut for the extended edition, like every little heart would have just mm, so fluttered. Good. And it's so good. And then they come down and then they start celebrating. So then Boromir and Faramir are like having their bro moment. They're such <laughs> buddies. You can see like their relationship. And then Denethor shows up, their dad. Ooh. And then you can see Boromir says, must he ruin every moment or something like that. Ooh, and oh. he like takes a deep breath, puts his smile on and turns around and says, hello, father. And it's like, it's so perfect. And you feel the big brother, little brother dynamic and Boromir can do nothing wrong and Faramir can do nothing right. Like it's good. So I think that if you okay. saw that you would you would understand. Yeah. Oh that's okay. why they why they needed to be who they were. You've convinced me. <laughs> you have. We need to rate this movie. Yeah. We need to rate it quickly. Honestly, I, mean, I couldn't think of a small, obscure object. And but, but Nate called me out for using something big in the last episode. So I'm going to use something small. And since we talked about Gollum for a while and special effects, I'm going to say, on a scale of zero to five dead fish, <laughs> how would we rate this movie? Cecily, Yes. please go first. Yeah, so this movie is a four out of five for me. Ooh. And the entire point taken off is for Peter Jackson screwing around and things he should not have messed with. <laughs> But it's a four out of five movie for me. Could have been five out of five. He has meddled where he has no business. Exactly. Could have been five out of five. I love these movies, and I think they're so well done. But I had to take off a whole point just because of Mr. Jackson's mistakes. So you said four and a half for Fellowship of the Ring Mm -hmm. and four for this movie. So Mm -hmm. you are saying officially on a form of media that will be here for hundreds of years that will last past all of us that you think Fellowship of the Ring is a better movie than The Two Towers. I do. I think the story of The Two Towers is more... It, it, like the if you just took it the book like the story of it it has moved more it's more epic it has more movement to it and like progression to it and you're getting somewhere as movies the fellowship is as it's setting things up the setup i think is better like the the performance of the creating the world is better mm. in the fellowship than how they continued it in the two towers okay Nate? i am going to give the two towers four and a half dead fish <laughs> <laughs> I gave the last one three and a half. Yeah. I think this movie is has to be a top 10 movie for me. It is very hard to watch a three hour long movie with a tiny baby boy. Yes. I, again, have to watch it in about six chunks. Again, Helm's Deep is one of the best action scenes yes. I've ever seen. Yes. I think even the parts that slow it down, I'm not trying to get from action scene to action scene. I enjoy the in-betweens. I enjoy the budding friendship in the Gimli, Legolas, Aragorn trio. And then I think Smeagol is a technological and acting triumph. So four and a half. When I say which is my favorite Lord of the Rings movie, I typically say this one. And, you know, I have to rewatch the third one to make sure that is cemented in my mind. But but I do love it. I love Helm's Deep. I also am going to give it four and a half dead fish. I don't have the book context, which, like you have, Cecily, will probably dampen the, you know, reception of the movie because they made Peter Jackson made choices that maybe aren't ideal. But man, Helm's Deep, even just by itself, again, just amazing. So four and a half for me. Listeners, let us know what you think about The Two Towers. You can comment on our Instagram, at Movies on the Side. Also, don't forget to check out patreon.com slash movies on the side. Cecily joined us for a brief but wonderful bonus episode, and you can get access to that when you support the show with any amount, patreon.com slash movies on the side. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. And as we always say, Smeakard. Why does he cry, precious? Her first tricks he opens this. Look at Jarfish. I do Jarfish. I do sweet. Jacob. How's that? That is horrifying and incredible. <laughs> like, I, my skin started crawling as you did. Excellent impression. Wonderful job. Well done. Thank you.